0: The Interplanetary Podcast is alive! So, I'm joined on the podcast by Olivier Vitas, who is one of the scientists involved with JUICE. Is that correct, Olivier?
1: Yeah, correct. I'm working at the European Space Agency, and I'm the project scientist of the JUICE mission.
0: Tell us how you got involved and, and what your sort of day-to-day is uh, for, for JUICE.
1: Yeah, so I got involved in uh, early 2015, when the mission uh, change phase, for, for all our projects, we have different phases for, for each of our projects. So it was a study phase, and then we end up into the what we call the development phase where we built the spacecraft, uh, the instrument, and we finish now with the launch campaign. So I started at the beginning of the development phase. And as project scientist, I'm uh, responsible for, or I am the contact point for all the scientific aspect of the mission so every time we need to discuss science and we need to check uh that we can still fulfill the, the scientific aspect of the mission i am here to to check to advise to discuss uh basically i am the the responsible for the scientific aspect at ESA.
0: yeah well that i mean that that is a very very <laughs> big remit for something because i mean this is a, a large class mission isn't it so this is one of you know isa's yeah. flagship missions and it's uh, it's the fir- is it the first time that European Space Agency have uh, visited Jupiter? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and- yeah, that's the that's the first time. A long time ago, we visited the uh, the Titan moon of Saturn together with NASA. That was the Cassini-Huygens mission. Then we had the Rosetta mission for the comet, and now we have this big mission to Jupiter.
0: So yeah, in in terms of things like yeah, in ter- in terms of the Galileo mission and Cassini and things like that, has, does the, has that as the Engineering the science that was from those missions being taken into account for this mission. Are there, is is this kind of an evolution of those missions?
1: Yeah, it's really the yes, it's really an evolution because every mission uh, brings something new, so new, new scientific questions, and then that's why we propose a new mission and we, we tackle the next uh, the next point. Because in fact, every mission brings answers. Because when we propose a mission and when we develop a mission, we 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 know the scientific questions we would like to be addressed, and uh, with every mission, we we answer many of the questions, but we bring always new questions. That's why we need new mission. And really, a juice built on on Galileo for what concerns the icy moons of Jupiter, so Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, and also, as you said, on the Cassini-Huygens, because... uh, that's a similar mission. A lot of flybys of of the moons around uh, Saturn, and uh, uh Saturn, also some similarities with Jupiter. It's a it's a giant planet. So for some aspect, it's a similar mission. We go a little bit further because we will orbit Ganymede. Uh, so we orbit the moon after orbiting the giant planet. But some of the questions are similar, and we really built on those on those two missions.
0: So in terms of the science, uh, presumably there's lots and lots of uh postgrads at different universities who, who want lots of different answers uh from lots and lots of questions that have been kicked up is is it your job and 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 people like you at European space agency just to sort of say what's going to be feasible with this particular mission or do you sort of, or is every single question on the table and you sift through and see what instruments are coming down the line to kind of make these things work
1: well, in fact when the mission was proposed I mean long long time ago in this original form it was in 2007 so uh, the scientific community put together the scientific uh, questions or the scientific objectives and for the mission for for juice it was to uh address many many questions uh, but the main one is to study the the icy moons Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, with a particular focus on Ganymede, the biggest moon in the in the solar system, uh, to check whether around a gas giant like Jupiter we can have habitable places. Yeah. So places that uh, I don't want to say that harbor life, but that that at least that we have some interesting ingredients for life. So that was one aspect of the mission. And because we are going to orbit Jupiter, we are going also to study the Jupiter system globally. So the, the, the planet, the atmosphere, the, the magnetic field, uh, the other moons, the dust rings. Because to understand the habitability, the, the question of habitability, we don't want to study the moons in isolation. We want to st- to study globally. So what is the role of the magnetic field, the radiation environment, the link between the moons and Jupiter, the links between the moons and the moons? So we need to study the system globally to understand whether there are habitable places and uh, the, the what what we think could be habitable places are the subsurface oceans inside the moon of Jupiter. It's quite fascinating to think that underneath the surface, so we see the surfaces of the moon, so ice the ice, mm. the craters and so on, but underneath the surface there is more liquid water than on Earth. Yeah. It's, it's quite uh, it's quite strange to think that this is the reality. So we got this information from Galileo. And also uh, Cassini Ergens at Saturn find that for the in particular for Titan and for Enceladus, two other very interesting moons. And with juice we are going to go further. So uh, we are, in particular for Ganymede we are going to characterize this ocean, so where it is. At which kilometer underneath the surface? Is it 100 kilometers, 150? How big is this ocean? What is the depth? Is it 100 kilometers, 80 kilometers? And what is the composition to know more? And in addition, we'll study the moons, the entire structure, the surface, the little atmosphere, the magnetic field, and the connection to Jupiter. So it's a very broad, uh, a very, very broad mission. When you do planetary science with a mission like JUICE, you can do everything, interiors of the moon, surface, atmosphere, the Jupiter atmosphere, the Jupiter strong magnetic field, the aurora of Jupiter. Really a lot of interesting physics.
0: Yeah, and, and actually the journey to get there is actually very, very interesting. It's quite a long journey, isn't it? And I suppose that that actually poses quite a few uh, problems in itself in, in, in being in that environment on the way out there. But you you do get to do flybys of Venus, <laughs> Earth yep. and and potentially with, did I did I read that you you get a a, a a body in the asteroid belt as well and is is that is that uh is that are you able to actually do science around during those flybys as well?
1: Uh, yes, and also no. for sure in in our journey we have uh, four flybys, so three of the of the Earth and one of Venus. Mm-hmm. And depending on the launch date, the first one at the Earth might be a lunar-Earth flyby. In fact, we will see um, depending on the launch date. And doing those flybys, uh, I mean, the main goal of those flybys is to do the gravity assist to be able to reach Jupiter. That's why we we do this uh, this flyby. We don't do that for fun. It's because we cannot go. We cannot fly directly to Jupiter. Juice is too heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's six tons, so we cannot go directly to Jupiter. And during those flybys, because I mean, uh, we we fly by those planets, so Earth and Venus, uh, we will take some images and uh, switch on some of the instruments for what we call um, calibration. So because the the environment of the Earth is well known, and for some of the instruments like the magnetometer or in situ uh, measurement, it's good to to do so to take some measurement in the known environment to check if the if the instrument perform well. We will do some uh, interesting. We will take some images because it's always great to take images of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And at Venus, it's a little bit more science because Venus, of course, it's a uh, it's an interesting planet to to explore, and we don't have that many missions there. So the flyby of Venus will be doing a little bit of of observations, not too much because. Uh, because Juice is not designed to work close to Venus, it's designed to work at Jupiter, where it's cold. <laughs> so Venus is not really the best place for Juice to work. So we'll do the flyby, a little bit of measurement, and that's it. But other than that, you mentioned the the asteroid belt. So we will cross the asteroid belt twice uh, during the during the journey. And in principle, at the moment, we don't foresee any asteroid flyby. Because I mean, there are many, many asteroids, but still, it's <laughs> still a lot of yeah. void, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. which is good because then the risk of collision is uh, is uh, is not significant, so that's good. But we uh, we we have already started to analyze the trajectory, and we have not found uh, any close encounter with the flyby so far. Hmm. Uh, so after launch, we'll revisit the situation with the the exact trajectory. And if there is a flyby, if there is a possible flyby, which it's possible, then we'll decide if we do it. But the problem is that um, if we do a flyby, we may need to use a little bit of fuel propellant to change a little bit the trajectory. And uh, our baseline is to keep as much propellant as possible for the uh, the phase around Jupiter. Hmm. So we have to see. At the moment, I would say we will not, do any, any flyby of, of asteroid, but we will see. And then the last point that we could do uh, in terms of science during the, the cruise phase is that we will be in the solar wind all the time. So if we switch on the particle and magnetic field uh, instrument, we can make very useful uh, measurement in the solar wind. And it's, that's something It's very interesting for the scientific community and also to measure the dust in the solar system, so we we should be able to do a, a little bit of science during the, during the cruise phase, just to keep the people uh, uh, <laughs> active and to yeah. we because we need to wait eight years to uh, to reach Jupiter.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously these instruments are super, super sensitive, and they've got to, you know, measure magnetic fields, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Is is one of the things that when when you're calibrating the spacecraft? And interesting, you said around the Earth, you've you, you've got this well-known system, obviously, because we live here. Um, it, it, does that actually help you calibrate the spacecraft? So you're not reading the spacecraft itself when it comes to things yeah, like yeah, magnetic yeah, exactly. fields and yeah, things. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's very important because uh, we we don't want to uh, to be disturbed by the by the spacecraft and that's why all the sensitive instruments like the magnetometer are are put as far as possible from the spacecraft. So we have a ten meter boom. We, we we put the sensitive instrument at the at the end. So we are as far as possible from the spacecraft. But still, it's it's always good to to take as measure as many measurements as possible in a known environment, also in the solar wind. Mm-hmm just to be fully prepared because the the measurement uh, around Jupiter and around the IC moons we need to be very precise and very sensitive yeah so that's why we it, it's good to uh, to accumulate some some data before
0: yeah and what when you actually get to the galilean moons what what kind of insights do you think you're going to achieve what 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 are the what are the possibilities that uh, JUICE actually has in its capability with it, with the instruments it's got?
1: So if I take the example of Ganymede, uh, I think we will know Ganymede extremely well. The, the, the interior. So what is the interior structure of Ganymede? So we, we think there is a, a, a liquid core which generates its own magnetic field, but we need to understand what it is. Then we have different layers of rocks Ice, liquid, ice, but that's all that we know. Hmm. And it's very interesting to study the interior of a moon like a Ganymede because it's it's the bigger biggest moon in the solar system, bigger than Mercury. Hmm. So we'll study the interior, the liquid water, for the question of life and habitability. That's very important. Then we'll study the surface uh, to derive the evolution of the moon as a function of time. How was the moon of a few billion years ago? Uh, If we compare with the other moons, it's important to understand the the formation of the moons, the formation of Jupiter and the evolution. And since Jupiter, it's a small solar system, because with all the moons, if we understand well Jupiter, we can understand also better our own solar system. And it's important to understand how it was born, how it evolves with time, and to know better the other extrasolar system, because we have now many, many other exoplanets and it's important to to understand them to see how they evolve if if life can can start there a lot a lot of questions so there are really a lot of questions that we can address with juice
0: yeah and i, I suppose ganymede's really interesting isn't it because it's got its own magnetic field and it yep. interacts with the with the jupiter's magnetic field which is of course massive and and it is is that still a little bit of a mystery why ganymede has got such a, a big magnetic field yep. of its own?
1: why it's the only moon <laughs> so yeah. with uh, with this property, so why? That's the first question. I think it's quite interesting. And to the, the presence of a magnetic field, it's always very interesting because if you consider a solid body, so that's the only moon, but the other bodies are the Earth and Mercury. And we are happy on the Earth to have the magnetic field. It protects us from, uh, from the solar radiation, so that's good. So what is the role of the magnetic field at Ganymede? Uh, that's also a very, a very interesting question. And how, 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 as you said, how it interacts with the magnetic field of Jupiter. Uh, yeah, that's a, a lot of questions like that are very important. So Ganymede is very interesting for the magnetic field, the presence of, of water. Maybe that's the place in the solar system with the uh, the biggest amount of water,
0: hmm. probably. Yeah.
1: And the search of water... It's a big question. I mean, we have, we have sent many missions to Mars to look for the water. <laughs> Where is the water on Mars? <laughs> we yeah. didn't find it very clearly. <laughs> uh, we know that Mars now had liquid water on the surface, but long time ago, three billion years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not now. But we have a lot of liquid water on Ganymede. So is it important? Is it interesting? Oh. How does that compare with Europa? Is there liquid water on Callisto? There is a big question mark on Callisto. Hmm. So if you compare the three moons, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, you can understand how everything works because Europa is relatively active. It's close to Jupiter. Uh, uh, act- there are more activities because of the tidal forces, because of the proximity of Jupiter. So the surface of, of Europa is relatively young there is not many craters it's like you it's 50 50 million years old so we, which is like yesterday in terms of uh, geological age callisto it's the, the other extreme it's a very old surface many many craters so that means the surface has not evolved since the formation of Gali- of uh, callisto so you are very active or relatively active not active at all and ganymede is in between mm. A lot of interesting uh, aspect it, to, to discover. Yeah,
0: and it, it's that that makes me... So What? why, out of the four big moons, the Galilean moons, did did uh, has Io not got a look-in on this mission? Because is, is, is there any particular reason why you have to avoid Io? <laughs> uh,
1: uh, there are two reasons. First, uh, because it's not in the central topic of the mission, the study of the icy moons and liquid water. And Io, it's not the same the, in the same category because Io is more a rocky moon, no ice, and more magmatic and volcanic activity. So it's, it's a different body, so to say. The other reason is that uh, Io is very close to Jupiter and it's really inside the radiation belt, the strong radiation belt of Jupiter. So it's just impossible for a, a standard satellite to study Io from close. Because with the radiation environment the electronics will die and so on. So we need you if you want a, a, a dedicated study, you need to uh, to have a dedicated mission to uh, to IO. So if with juice, once IO is uh, not too far, I mean when we see IO in our field of view, we'll take some images, maybe 10, 15 during the mission just to monitor the volcanic activity. but by no way we can we can uh, we can explore IO from from close. It's just too dangerous from the radiation point of view
0: the the emphasis is on this and you said something quite interesting earlier that the difference between is there life on these planets and and are they habitable (laughs) um are there some scientific instruments that are there specifically looking for life or is it much more about this idea of habitability rather than yeah
1: it's habitability and to understand the properties of 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 those moons because we the first question is do we have habitable place inside those moons? If the question is yes, and we think the question could be yes for Europa, uh, sorry, the answer, and the answer could be potentially yes for Ganymede, but mainly Europa. Uh, we think Europa is a very more, the best target for for astrobiology. But then the, it will be f- up for the next uh, mission to uh, to study life, if we think life can be there. And life, it's a, it's another type of investigation. It's quite difficult to uh, to search for life. I mean, for Mars, there have been many missions, or a few missions to uh, that landed that wanted to search for life, like the Viking uh, landers. And next for Europe, it will be uh, ExoMars. Uh, it's very complex mission. So uh, if we do a mission like that at uh, the Jupiter moons, that will be even more complex.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> the but, but juice will not do that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean the one thing that comes up is just I think people think you can just dig through the ice, but it's it's quite thick, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and you have the planetary protection. You need to be to be sure you comply with the planetary protection, and you need to land on the surface, which is not easy because the moons of of Jupiter that the, the atmosphere is very thin. So to land on airless body, it's uh, it's not easy.
0: Yeah, but that that leads to two two questions really. At at what stage in the planning did you actually? Because it's quite it's quite revolutionary. Excuse the pun to get a spacecraft in orbit around a moon. I think it's the first time this will have been achieved. And was there at any point did you? I mean, when when did that come about in terms of the mission planning and? did uh, at any point was there a lander considered as well
1: no no too uh too complicated it's way too complicated because if uh, already to bring the 6 tons in the jupiter system and then in orbit around ganymede it's already quite a challenge to in the design how much propellant do you put on the spacecraft for the maneuvers and so on so we we cannot we we, we are the limit in fact we we cannot bring more and we, 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 we bring also 10 instruments. If you need to add the lander, uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, most of the mass will be in the lander. Mm. And then if you land, uh, because you need a system to, to land on those, on those bodies without any atmosphere, so it's quite a heavy system, then the the, the mass of the instrument will be just ridiculous.
0: Is that the, so? That's the difference, really, because because obviously you yeah. you we managed it with Ho- the Huygens probe as a kind of lander in in, in the yeah. in the in in, <laughs> in Titan. system, yeah yeah, on Titan. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's, it's, uh, so it's really just that none of them have got like a there's nothing to kind of slow you down to to or uh... yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, in a way, Huygens was easier because of the thick atmosphere of Titan than you have parachute. And then, uh, and uh, Huygens was an atmospheric probe. I mean, it landed at the end, but uh, the main goal of the mission was to to perform measurement during the doing the descent. So it's not uh, it's not at all the same to land on the on the on the moon like Europa. Uh, it's quite it's quite a challenge first to land and then to uh, to resist to the radiation environment, and to have enough mass for an instrument to do something uh, use use uh, useful. Uh, that will be for the next generation of of mission.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got this. You've you've got this. Ten instruments that are working presumably all the time and 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 generating an enormous amount of data. But you're also a very long way away from <laughs> home. So ha, is is there a, a particular problem in terms of the? The, the, the kind of pipeline of data that that travels back to earth and is there and is there any kind of special challenges that come with interpreting the data that comes from the?
1: Um, the distance for to earth, I mean, it is what it is, but it's not a big uh, a big issue. I mean we size the 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 antenna. We are, if you see a, a picture of the spacecraft, we have a big white antenna of two two and a half meter. So it's a big antenna to be able to uh, to download uh, a reasonable amount of data. So I think that, that this is fine and we uh, we designed the system with the 10 instrument to make sure that we can download the data. To give you an idea, an idea we have between two and, uh, 2 and 2.5 gigabit of data per day, so it's a memory stick. Um, we could generate much more, of course, because we stand instrument. We have cameras, imaging spectrometers that generate a lot of data. But with our mission profile and with the downloading capability, uh, this is uh, this is absolutely okay, I think. So It's uh, it, it is fine. So we will download the data. The only thing is that because of the long distance between Earth and the spacecraft, sometimes it would take a little bit of time to get the data but we have to be patient i mean if you wait for 8 years to go there uh you can wait uh, one one week two weeks three weeks one month two months maximum to get your data so uh so that is absolutely fine so just you need to wait a little bit and that's it so the the data volume and the data retrieval it's not a big uh, a, a big a big problem for us
0: yeah, in, in in terms of designing the instruments and designing the, and and design the actual spacecraft itself that carries all those instruments. Obviously, this is you've you've got a quite a bizarre trajectory of going in towards Venus and then back out again. So presumably, you're changing quite a you're, the environment for the spacecraft is changing yeah. quite a lot. And and that, yeah, and 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 when you get to Jupiter, you've got this you know virtually no sunlight compared to.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that that why it's a biggest uh, it's a bigger challenge, because indeed we need to design a spacecraft which can cope with the Venus flyby, so warm temperatures, high solar flux, and then we need to go to Jupiter, low solar flux, low temperatures. So the design has been uh, take uh, has taken into account those two extreme uh, cases. So we have uh, we have particular thermal blankets around the spacecraft which protect the spacecraft from the cold. Uh, we can use the 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 big antenna during the cruise phase to protect the spacecraft when it when it's needed when we are closer to the sun. So we have a few uh, design uh, and few operational constraints which allow to uh, to cope with that. But that was a challenge. Yes, the, the the thermal design was a challenge. One of the biggest and and for the the distance to the sun. So at Jupiter, the, we we had to build big solar arrays. And that is also a challenge in, in itself because that's for probably the biggest uh, solar array for any, for any planetary mission. We have 85 square meters, a very special shape, a crossed uh, shape. So that means a complex deployment sequence. And uh, the solar panels, uh, they have to work at low temperatures around the Jupiter system. And they have to work in the harsh radiation environment. And they have to deliver the power so there was a, a lot of design and test uh, for the right technology to use for for use. Yes, that was a big challenge.
0: It, it, I, I know this is a, a bit of a strange, might be a strange question, it, it, because these solar panels are actually pretty vast, right? It's it's a big surface area. Does that and 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 they get deployed? They get deployed fairly early on, don't they? When they're you know not that long after launch. Mm-hmm. In terms of maneuverability of the spacecraft, does, do, is it something you have to take into account that, that this sort of these huge kind of solar ah, panels? Yeah, but that's
1: why, uh, that's why the shape is as, as seen as a cross. Because that means that it's more compact around the spacecraft. And for the stability of the spacecraft, it's much better. Right, but indeed, uh, indeed, we had, uh, for for example, for the attitude of the spacecraft, uh, we need to, to the system needs to take to take that into account. But yes, the the, the, the design was such that uh, we uh, the spacecraft has to work because we have some requirement in terms of pointing, how the spacecraft can move because we want the spacecraft to move in all directions with the instrument, and that was part of the of the design indeed. Uh, to make sure it's stable enough for the for the, for the instrument uh, observations.
0: Yeah, and as as you as a scientist are on part of the mission, is it, how how much does that come through your department as opposed to say the engineers department? We, we know with all these des- design decisions on the actual spacecraft and the instruments and everything else. How how well, does that interaction a, work?
1: Yeah, but that's a uh, that's a teamwork. Uh, it's very interesting work, I have to say. It's a teamwork between uh, first the the, the colleagues in uh, the European Space Agency which formed the project so they, they are in charge of the project
0: mm-hmm.
1: So it's a group of uh, 20 30 people who are checking everything about the uh, the development of the project. Then you have the industry which built uh, the spacecraft and it's a huge industrial consortium in Europe led by uh, a company in, uh, in in France in Toulouse, Airbus. And then you have the instrument providers. So we have 10 instruments. So that means we have 10 institutes which who are responsible to deliver the instrument. For example, the camera is delivered by a a consortium between Italy and Germany. You have a magnetometer, it's uh, mainly the United Kingdom, et cetera, et cetera. So you have all these institutes which much work with the industry in coordination with the project. Uh, yes, everybody has to work together to make sure that uh, everything is fine because we at the beginning we put some requirements. For example, we want the magnetometer at the as far as possible from the spacecraft. Uh, we want the spacecraft to be stable when we when we take an image. Uh, we want that this instrument uh, has a field of view towards this direction because it wants to measure this kind of particles. And so on and so on. And the list of requirements here, I gave three, but we have uh, uh, thousands and thousands. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and the industry must must reply to this. And the project must check that the industry and uh, everybody meets the requirements. So that it takes eight years for the development phase. Yeah, and then we test to make sure that uh, it's done according to what we wanted.
0: Yeah, I mean that. but well, the testing phase is is quite a a feat in itself. Presumably, there's facilities specifically built to test certain features and and, uh, like if you've got these massive solar panels presumably they got tested somewhere and the spacecraft is a big old hunk of metal that got tested somewhere so yeah but uh,
1: first before um uh before building the real spacecraft we built some uh uh, some models so similar spacecraft but uh less performant of course and not exactly the same spacecraft Just to test a few things, for example, in the beginning of the development phase, we built a spacecraft with the exact size to test the the thermal design. So all the thermal blankets to make sure that from the thermal point of view, the design was okay. And then we did some testing in the vacuum chamber with low pressure, low temperature, with the solar illumination to check that the design was done. And then we built another model to test uh, the cabling, how the instrument fit together, uh the software. And we did a lot of testing on this one and then with the real spacecraft, we did all the possible tests uh like uh, uh, mechanical test to uh, to resist to the to the launch, acoustic test also to resist uh, doing the launch phase when uh, when the spacecraft will be will be uh, in the atmosphere and we, there will be a lot of uh, atmospheric pressure. We we did some tests for electromagnetic, electromagnetic tests. So a lot of tests have, have been done in, in the last three or four years. And sometimes we find something which does not work exactly. So, okay, so we change this, we change this. So yeah, take yeah. a lot of time. So uh, yeah, it's a very interesting uh, team uh, team uh, team effort
0: yeah and and yeah i'm mean, hearing about simulations and running lots of different types of simulations for hundreds of different s- scenarios the the one that i heard the other day that that, that i found quite alarming was after launch y- the the actual spacecraft itself is sort of sent tumbling into space <laughs> and it's and so it's tumbling and the first thing it's got to do is is to sort itself out is to get it is, is yeah. to stop its own tumbling is it it, for you, is that it? it never seems to be that something when you see launch campaigns on on you know on YouTube or or on the telly. That it never seems to be the thing that everyone seems to be worried about. But uh, after hearing about it, that seems to terrify me. Is it is it something that you're t- terrified oh, yes, by as well? well. <laughs> what
1: we, what you are referring to is some simulations of the the people who will control the spacecraft in the control center. And here they they train for any possible scenarios. Uh, and the most worrying scenarios is when uh, when the spacecraft when something wrong is happening on the spacecraft and then the spe- spacecraft switch off all the instrument and put itself into what we call a safe mode. And then uh, so that means something went wrong, so the spacecraft stopped doing science. And what the spacecraft has to do is that he has to look in his computer to see what what I'm supposed to do now. So I need to make sure that the solar panels are pointed to the sun to get the power. Uh, I'm supposed to point my antenna, different antennas, because we have different antennas to Earth to communicate, to say, hello, I'm fine. Uh, Let me know what I have to do. And then this, the spacecraft had to do it in autonomy. So yes sometimes the spacecraft is not in the right attitude so it needs to change attitude to uh, to be able to communicate with uh, with Earth and with the solar panels uh, getting the solar the, the solar flux so yes uh, we can have this kind of situation I mean it happens I have to say from time to time for for a, any mission and uh, there is a special mode which is called safe mode and uh, and then usually after a few days, the, the control team managed to get control of the spacecraft to understand what 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 happened and to put the spacecraft back back in science mode.
0: Yeah, I mean, with the launch, you've got obviously the launch is always a risky phase of, uh, and then you've got then you've got this the the solar solar array deployment, and then after that, when it's when it's doing its flybys and its cruises off to the Jovian system, is there is there any particular dangers of just being out there in Deep space on these cruise stages, or, 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 or does that tend uh, no, to be reasonably safe? Cruises,
1: I mean, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so the launch is the most uh, critical phase. Then you have you have to deploy everything that needs to be deployed. So the solar arrays after one and a half hour needs to be deployed. So that's the first that that's the first big step, the solar array deployment. Then we have to deploy. If you look at how the spacecraft look like, we have a lot of booms, antennas everywhere, and it will take two more weeks. To deploy everything, for example, the long magnetometer boom, uh, we have uh, two radars antennas, we have uh, four antennas for plasma investigations, we have a smaller uh, antenna, and it will take two weeks to deploy. So that's the next. I don't want to say critical, but th- th- those things need to be deployed. Mm-hmm. And for example, if the magnetometer boom is not deployed, that's a big problem for for the mission yeah and the deployment it's something mechanical so it's it's always uh, a little bit critical in space to do the mechanics so but once that is done the next critical steps will be the gravity assist flyby, like the earth venus but by experience it, it's it's uh, it's always worked for for all previous missions so i think that we are we are very confident then the the next one which will be critical is the when we enter in orbit around Jupiter in July 2031, because here we need to switch on the main engine, because we want to decelerate to be able to be captured by the gravity field of Jupiter. So we need to switch on the main engine for, I don't remember the exact duration, but something like half an hour. And we have only one engine, <laughs> so if it does not work, uh, we are not captured yeah. by the Jupiter gravity. So that does not uh, it's not okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's definitely not okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, presumably that that's a good chunk of the fuel, isn't it? That just slowing, yeah yeah yeah, slowing yeah, that's down right, yeah exactly phase, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So was, that's
1: it it has to work. It has to work. Well,
0: in in terms of getting into orbit around in, uh, Ganymede, was 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 was. was was there a sort of choice between Ganymede, Europa, and Callisto? Or was it really only Ganymede that you could yeah, uh, do it?
1: Ganymede was a uh, was kind of obvious choice uh, first because it's a very interesting uh, moon, biggest moon, uh, the the presence of liquid ocean, and the magnetic field, which makes this uh, this moon very completely unique. So that's a very interesting moon, and to, uh, we want to to learn more about it. But then, uh, for the radiation environment also, it was it was uh, it was a good target because it's not too close to Jupiter. Uh, yeah, for example, Europa. It's it's just in was not possible for, for Europe to uh, to build a mission to uh, to Europa with the with the budget with the mass of the spacecraft that we can send there.
0: So, 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 so that's
1: why uh, Ganymede was the obvious choice.
0: Yeah. So, so NASA obviously they've they've got their Europa Clipper, haven't they? That, that yeah. that's going out that should sort of get there roughly the same sort of time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, it is the one thing that we we sort of came up on the podcast was was that that you know that there is a communication between ESA and NASA and and therefore is is that does that communication come from that original? Those original early plans, where NASA and ESA had sort of planned together to do something at Jupiter, then that sort of dissolved. And is this is is this like a sort of formal relationship? This kind of Clipper and and Juice actually working together in the, in that system.
1: Well, in fact, when so when Clipper started uh, its development a few, a few years ago, uh, for everybody it was obvious that the two project must communicate. Hmm. I mean both. The, both on the project level, the, the project which developed the, the two missions, and we have we have had some, uh, some technical discussion between the two projects, just to exchange the ideas, uh, the challenge, technical challenges and so on. And then from for the scientific community also, they say, we need to talk to each other because if we have two spacecraft at the same time in the Jupiter system, it's great. It's more or less the original plan from 2007 so uh, let's resume that and over the last few years I mean we started in 2018 I think we have uh, an excellent collaboration so we meet the science teams we meet every year we have what we call a steering committee which uh, which include people from both projects or both science teams and they advise the project how to collaborate, uh, what kind of things we can do together, coordinated observation. So there is an excellent collaboration. People are very excited to have these two two missions. So the collaboration works extremely well. I'm very happy about it.
0: Yeah, so it's, so it's sort of mid the mid-2030s. We'll, we'll know more about the Jupiter system than ever, yeah. presumably. So, so, you know, it's going to be... One of the most understood and known parts of the solar system.
1: I think so. I think so, yeah. With, with Juno, which is orbiting now, from mm-hmm. another mission from NASA, which focuses on, on Jupiter interior and atmosphere. Uh, then with Clipper on, on Europa and with Juice on the rest of the system. I think it's, uh, it's great. We, we will give data for the next generation of scientists for the next 20 years.
0: Yeah, excellent. And with, uh, just, just to finish up, so in terms of your journey, because I mean, the one thing that I've learned doing this podcast is is a lot of these very big missions, of course, they, they take so long to plan, then they take so long to get there. And then the data that's come off them takes so long to kind of sift through and get all the science out of that that genuinely is like someone's entire scientific <laughs> career. Yep. And and so so a lot obviously it's that's why so much hangs on these missions. I always think it, it, you feel so. If if something blows up on a launch pad, that that's just really super heartbreaking. But in terms of your in terms of your in, in terms of your involvement, do you stay with do you stay with the this mission the the juicy mission or do you then or do you or do you then work on other spacecraft in this interim period of it going off to. Going
1: off the uh, No, in, in my case, usually for 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 this kind of mission, but for every mission, we try to have the the same project scientist from the beginning to the end, because that's the bit the that's the little bit the person who makes the link with all phases of the project, so the study, development, cruise, operation, post operation. It's it's very useful to have the same person from the beginning t- to the end. But we can also change person when there is the need. For people retired, uh, go to other projects, So you, you you never know that that can happen. So in my case, I replaced someone who were going to retire. So that's why I came into uh, in, into the game in 2015. But this, while the project started before, in my case, I can I can follow the the mission until the end, which is good,
0: because
1: hmm. it's it's in line with my. Uh, my career, my uh, when I will retire, <laughs> so I can follow. I can follow the mission until the end. So, I'm, for the moment, this is what I what I will be planning. So, the, the next phase is the cruise phase, which is eight year long. Uh, we need to see how we uh, we organize this work. But we uh, um, people might think that it's a relatively quiet phase with with nothing happening. But in fact. It's not exactly the case. We need to be ready for all the observations when we arrive there. When we arrive at Jupiter, we cannot think, oh, what are we going to do? Mm. It will be too late. We need to be free ready to do all the observations because the observation sequence for the, for the four-year in the Jupiter system will be quite complex with flybys, two-orbit insertion. So we need to be ready. And this eight-year cruise, in fact, I think will be what we need to be ready for this four-year mission. Wow. Yeah. So in fact, I don't think I will have time to focus on other projects. I could do a little <laughs> bit of small projects from time to time when yeah. needed to help other other colleagues. That's 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 it's okay, but I will really focus on juice because we uh, we have still a lot to to prepare. Yeah, well, with, with
0: in terms of how well the launch goes, and you know how well the, you know the the, the Ariane Five has, has pushed it into position. I know this was the case with James Webb, where Ariane Five performs so well, it's it's extended yeah. the length of the James Webb. So it, it is. It could a similar situation happen for uh, for Juice as well, where you actually get like a, an extra orbit or two of of, yeah. <laughs> of Ganymede. So you actually get more. Yeah, of- yeah.
1: That's uh, yes. We will see. Uh, we will analyze the launch performance. And indeed, uh, a little bit like for James Webb, if for example if the launch is perfect, uh, we can have extra fuel for the for the phase around Ganymede, for example, and hmm. we can uh, achieve a, a better orbit, uh, which uh, compared to the one which is a uh, baseline at the moment. So we can go even at lower altitude. Hmm. So we hope to have a great launch, and then. Uh, we could do even better science at Ganymede. Is
0: is one of the reasons because it finishes with 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 it with it crashing into Ganymede. Is that correct? So is is that a is that a planetary protection thing or or in terms of you don't want- the
1: fact that uh, so because we 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 wanted to orbit around Ganymede because it's it's uh, for the science objective of the mission. So once you are orbiting Ganymede. You don't have enough fuel to escape the gravity, the Ganymed gravity. So once you are in orbit, you are stuck in orbit. In any case, we cannot deorbit and go to Jupiter, for example. And once we have no fuel anymore, or once the the mission stops working for whatever reason, at some point it will stop working because I mean the solar degradation, the batteries will stop working, etc. And then the, the we have no other choice than <laughs> in impact or crashing Ganymede so yeah. that's with the mission design and it's uh, we checked of course that it's in line with the with the planetary protection uh so we can we can do that we could not do the same at Europa
0: hmm. yeah uh,
1: but Ganymede it's uh, it's okay we, we, from what we know about Ganymede uh, the ocean of Ganymede So if we crash on Ganymede we have absolutely no uh chance of contaminating the subsurface ocean. While well, it will not be the case at Europa, so we we don't we don't orbit Europa, and we don't crash on Europa. But Ganymede, it's uh, it's it's allowed.
0: Right. Okay. That's super interesting. So so, so uh, as the orbit uh, decreases, presumably you're going to get that th- there'll be one sort of final phase of science where you're able to collect even more detailed uh, information. Is that is that right, or is it by that point yep. the the spacecraft so tired it can't?
1: <laughs> it no, can't... I mean. Uh, uh... I mean, the the end we will see. It will be, uh, I'm sure it will be very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The baseline is to have a, a, a final orbit at 500 kilometers where we can stay for about three months and then we'll do all the useful measurement. If we have enough fuel, we will go down as low as possible, but for example, 200 kilometers, something like that, for maybe one month. And at this stage, we think something will not work anymore on the spacecraft. Uh, But that we'll have to see. What what can happen is that we can have also, maybe the the spacecraft will go down on on the surface for a few months, and we can still be able to acquire some measurement. Uh, Everything is possible, we have have to see, uh, but to make sure measurement and to download the the data on Earth, we need to have enough fuel, we need to be able to control the spacecraft and that we will see what we can do at this stage of the of the mission.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh <laughs> that, well 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 thanks very much for taking me through the whole mission. But where are you going to be at the are you, are you going to be in Karoo for the launch or are you going No, to, I will uh,
1: be at the Isoc, uh the uh, mission control center in Germany. Right, okay. In Darmstadt, so I will be following the launch from there with the operation teams.
0: I'm very excited about the mission. I I can't even begin to imagine how excited you must be.
1: Yeah, no, we are very excited. It's a, it's a great mission, really.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for taking the time out as well to to, to do this. I, I can't I can't imagine how busy you are but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah it's fine. Thank you. Bye. We 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 are happy to uh, to share the the information, the excitement. So it's great. So thanks for your interest. It's great.